Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. We're glad that you're here uh, for this hour of worship. If you're online or in this room or in our classic uh, venue, we're glad you've chosen this hour uh, to encounter God uh, in worship. Thank you, worship teams, uh, for leading us uh, in worship uh, this morning. Now, uh, before we get to the message, I want to take a uh, point of personal privilege as adult pastor, one of my main responsibilities is our life groups, adult uh, life groups. And so I just want to have an opportunity to tell you about what's going on in life groups, invite you to be involved or connected to a life group if you haven't already uh, done so. Uh, but we've got uh, adult life groups that meet at 815, at 930, and 11 o'clock during this hour. Our preschoolers and children, our kids ministry, they have uh, either worship or group opportunities at 9.30 uh, and 11. And our students, uh, they have life groups at 9.30 and 11 uh, as well. So I encourage you and your family, if you're not connected uh, to life groups, to, to take an opportunity uh, to do that. A couple of exciting things are happening in our adult uh, life groups. First is we've got, in August, we've got two new groups uh, that are starting one. Uh, we're going to have our uh, Jimmy Allen Senior Adult Group that meets at 9.30 is going to send out a group uh, to meet at 11. And David Huggins, who you saw baptized uh, just a moment ago, he and Susie are going to give leadership uh, to that new Senior Adult Group that's going to meet at 11 o'clock. And so we're excited about this new Senior Adult Group uh, starting. And then also uh, at 11 o'clock beginning in August, David Merriweather and Jim Goldsmith are going to be uh, sort of restarting a group at 11 o'clock for empty uh, nesters. And so we're excited about that uh, as well. And so we've also got a, a challenge with this hour here at church, especially downstairs uh, venue, as we anticipate uh, this hour being over capacity uh, in August when school uh, comes back. And so we've asked a couple of groups to make some transition changes uh, for their life group hour and uh, and, and their worship hour. One of those, Jim Dodgen and Brandon Aldrich's, Aldrich's group that meets at 9.30, a student family uh, group, they've committed to move their life group to 11 o'clock uh, in worship at the 9.30 uh, hour. And also we've got a couple other empty nester groups. They're not moving hours, but they're encouraging uh, their folks to, to go to a, a different worship venue uh, besides 11 o'clock modern, so 8.15 uh, modern worship or 9.30 or 11 o'clock classic uh, worship. And those two groups are Wayne uh, Morris's Empty Nester Group and the uh, Robison uh, Watson uh, Empty Nester Group that meet at 9.30. They're encouraging, you know, to make space here for 11. So that's what we're wanting to do is make room uh, in this hour for the newcomers, for guests uh, and those that are unchurched that are seeking uh, God. And if you're new here this morning, we're so glad that you're here. We're here for you and we want you to get connected. We want you to worship God. Uh, but we also are going to ask uh, several of you, uh, if you wouldn't, you know, maybe 12 families, if you would consider, pray about uh, changing your uh, worship hour, life group hour to worship at 930 and go to a life group uh, at 11. So we just need about that many more uh, folks to even up capacity here with our 9.30 and our 11 o'clock 
uh, worship. So that's the main goal there. And so we'll help you consider that and pray about uh, that. Because at, at 9.30 and 11, there's you know, life groups, adult life groups. There's things for the students at both hours and for preschool and children at both hours. So we just, uh, and also I want to just recognize all of our adult uh, life group teachers uh, and leaders. And so if you had stand, if you're a life group teacher, preschool, children, youth, adult, if you'd stand, if you're a leader or a teacher, I want you to stand and stay, remain standing uh, just for a moment. Uh, and so if you are in the room uh, and you haven't connected to a life group uh, yet, whether you're a member or whether this is your first time, I encourage you to connect to a life group. And I have to be there again. We've got 8, 15, 9, 30, 11 o'clock hours. If you haven't connected, see these teachers or leaders around you and after worship, ask them, let them say, hey, I need to, I want to get connected to a life group. They can help you and they can take you to the Welcome uh, Center as well uh, to find your, so I want you to stay standing. And I want to pray uh, for you leaders as we start a new year on July 31st. Uh, just pray for you. Uh, we appreciate you. You do so much uh, for the kingdom uh, through our church. You, uh, you work and study and lead and minister uh, 24-7 uh, and especially on Sundays. And so thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your ministry. Uh, and thank you for the impact that you have on lives uh, for the kingdom through our life groups. So let me pray for you. Father, we're grateful uh, for the opportunity of worship today. Father, I especially thank you for our life groups and the ministry they have to our, for your kingdom and for our families and for our church. I thank you for those that serve an adult and those that serve our children and those that serve uh, with students. And so, Father, we just thank you for their commitment to you. Father, for the teachers teaching your word week in and week out and making it applicable to their lives as they make disciples uh, of others through the teaching. Uh, we're thankful for the ministry that goes on uh, day in and day out each week uh, through these life groups. And thank you for the outreach and evangelism that happens where they're inviting they're inviting those that don't know you to come into relationship with you and relationship with church and get connected to a life group that they can continue to grow in their faith uh, in you and grow in relationship with other Christians. So I thank you for what uh, they do and just pray that you bless them and encourage them. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity of worship and pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to the word that you'd have us to receive this morning as we continue to worship for us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to share with you this morning uh, some characteristics of a church uh, in deep water. Uh, and you may think, well, you know, what's, what's deep water got to do uh, with anything? Well, the scripture has a lot about God being in deep water. Psalms is filled uh, with verses about God being a deep water uh, God. Two of them I want to share with you. Psalm 107, uh, 23 and 24 says, Others went to sea in ships conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. And then in Psalm 135, 5 and 6, says, The Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. So we're hearing just these two Psalms that God is a God, a deep water God, and we can meet God, and he does marvelous things in the deep water. And so we need to be a church uh, in deep water, have these uh, deep water experiences uh, with God. But just the term uh, deep water conjures up some negative uh, response or what's it mean to be in deep uh, water. And it's, you know, it can mean, you know, I'm in trouble. 
uh, I've done something wrong or I'm in over my head. And some of it may bring up the, you know, learning to swim in deep water for the first time, diving off in the deep end and being able to recover and get your head back above water and swim back to the side. A deep water experience may have a negative connotation, but we're going to look at scripture, a deep water experience uh, for these first disciples in Luke 5 uh, verses 1 uh, through 9. And so I want to show you my first uh, deep water experience. I, I'd call it my deep sea, first deep sea fishing uh, experience was in the summer of 1969. No, it's not the Brian Adams song. I didn't get a guitar. It's the summer of 69 where I had my first fishing experience. My brother Merrill, older brother Merrill is on the left. That's me on the right with our King Mackerels uh, that we called in Panama City uh, Beach when I was seven uh, years old. And that was my first deep water fishing experience. And I remember it well as a seven-year-old. One, I got seasick. Two, how hard it was for me. The, I mean, the fish was as long as I was tall to get that thing in. And I couldn't do it without my dad's help uh, reeling it in. But that's just the first, you know, that, that first memory, first experience of deep sea fishing. But that wasn't my first. My second experience deep sea fishing uh, was in the summer of 2014. So 43 something years later. So you can tell I didn't get the fishing bug with that first deep sea fishing uh, experience. So I wouldn't consider myself a fisherman uh, by any means. I know how to fish. I've gone fishing before, but I wouldn't consider, I mean, hey, I've got a passion for fishing. That's just not me. But more significant than that, that same summer, the, the, I had that deep uh, sea fishing experience uh, was the summer that I gave my heart and life to Christ as a seven-year-old boy after vacation Bible school at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Georgia, where my dad uh, was a pastor. So that was my first spiritual deep water experience with God as a seven-year-old boy after learning the, you know, the, the, the gospel uh, at vacation Bible school and my parents pouring into me, sharing Christ to me and what it meant to be lost, what it meant to be a Christian. I surrendered my heart and life as a seven-year-old child uh, there uh, in Jackson, Georgia. So that was my first deep water experience, spiritual experience uh, with Christ. And, and, and correlation here, what I want to share with you is we don't, we, we are called to have deep water experiences with God, not just one. Okay, we can't survive as a Christian if we just have that deep water experience or that deep spiritual experience uh, with Christ. Just like there was 43 years between those two deep uh, fishing experiences. I became a Christian when I was seven, but I didn't really learn what it meant to be a disciple, a follower of Christ until I was 21 years old in college after taking Master Life Discipleship. Uh, of course, really understood what it meant to be a follower, a disciple of Christ 14 years later. So I was a college student, but still, you know, I've been a Christian 14 years, but I was still spiritually immature. I was still spiritually a child, even though I was an adult. So what I want us to look at is a, a deep water experience here in Luke 5, verses 1 uh, through 11, where Jesus calls these first uh, fishermen, these fishermen here to be his disciples. And he calls them... Uh, and he gets our attention by telling them to go out in the deep water for a catch. So if you'll go to Luke 5, uh, verses 1 through 11, we'll read God's and read and hear God's word together. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw the, at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
And one got and got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished or amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So here in Scripture, one of the, one of the greatest fishing stories in Scripture, but probably uh, in history. And so this is a great uh, uh, lesson to learn how to be a church in deep water by learning from this experience of Jesus calling these fishermen, Simon and James and John and the other fishermen, to go out in the deep water for a catch. And so the context, uh, the first, I want to share with you seven seas of a church. Get it? You know, seven seas, ocean, deep water. You know, so, <laughs> seven seas of a church uh, in deep water. And the first one is uh, circumstances are understood. The circumstances are understood. Understanding the context of Scripture and under the con understanding the context of where we are uh, as a church and in our community. The context or the setting here, the background, it says that they were on the lake of Gennesaret. And this body of water is called different things according to what region you are around that. So it's called, it's called Lake of Gennesaret. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's the Lake of Tiberias, the Sea of Tiberias, and also known as the Lake of uh, Lake Kinneret. And so here, Luke, the gospel of the Luke, you know, he's, he's a physician. And so he's very accurate with details. And he correctly, because that region they were in, it was called Lake of Gennesaret, or you may know it better as the Sea uh, of Galilee. And so this was early, uh, and Luke is early in the public ministry uh, of Jesus. Uh, just uh, He was beginning his, his uh, teaching ministry, his preaching uh, ministry is shortly after his wilderness temptation uh, experience. And so here's that, that's the context uh, here. The community uh, that they were in is Capernaum, uh, which was uh, Simon Peter and Andrews. You know, they were brothers. It was their hometown and is where Jesus uh, had been uh, uh, teaching in the synagogues where he had, uh, he had uh, started healing. His first miracle was to cast out a demon uh, there uh, in, in Capernaum. And, and, and so people in the synagogue and then after that worship on this same day, you know, people learned that he was, uh, he was doing miracles uh, and that type of thing. And they had gathered they had gathered a large crowd, a large crowd had come to see this, new, this Jesus, this guy that's teaching, this guy that's working miracles and doing wonders. We want to see what this uh, is all uh, about. And also, in, and that was all in chapter four, you can see that context where Jesus preached in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
uh, and he had done those miracles and cast out that demon. Uh, and after the synagogue service at home, that's when they had, they had gathered. He was teaching uh, on the shore. Uh, and also, this is not the first uh, experience that, that Simon Peter and the other fishermen uh, had had uh, with them. They had gathered, you know, in Luke 4, you also see where uh, Jesus was in the home of Simon Peter and healed uh, his mother-in-law. Uh, and then other gospels say, you know, other accounts of this where uh, Jesus had met these uh, these uh, potential disciples or future disciples, he had met them. So this context, uh, they already knew this was not their first experience uh, with Jesus. The crowd uh, here, the, it says the, a large crowd uh, had gathered and some commentators, you know, they, they anticipate or estimate it was thousands upon thousands possibly that had gathered to hear Jesus teach and they were pressing on. He was running out of room and it was, it was the people, you know, in front of him, the water behind him. And so that's why, why he asked the, the fishermen to get in uh, their boat and says, you know, a large crowd. And that's one thing, if you haven't seen the Chosen series yet, the two seasons, you need to look at that. And that was one of them. This scene in the Chosen of the great crowd was very disappointing to me because it didn't go to the script. There's about 25 or 30 people on the shore and then Peter uh, was, in, was in the boat. And that just didn't fit my mental picture of what scripture said. There was thousands or there was a large, a large crowd uh, had gathered uh, there. And it says they were listening they were listening to the word of God. They were listening to Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, teach the word of God. So what he was saying was actually God's uh, word. And so uh, Jesus was with the people. He, his focus was on that crowd that had gathered uh, to teach them. The characters uh, in this were the fishermen, uh, Simon and James and John. I uh, don't know where Andrew was. He's not mentioned uh, in this uh, passage, uh, but uh, the characters were the fishermen uh, and Jesus. So the fishermen again were Simon, Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, because they were they were partners in the fishing business. They did it together, the Zebedee Fishing Company or whatever uh, it was. They were young professional uh, fishermen. They were young men uh, at this point, but they're living. They were, you know, Peter was married. Don't know about the others, uh, but they were, you know, making a living uh, as as fishermen. And so again, uh, in Matthew and Mark and John, uh, Jesus had already met Peter and Andrew, James uh, and John and other, uh, and other circumstances. And so they knew him as a teacher and they had made a sort of a commitment to him to uh, observe, to sort of follow, see what he was teaching and what he was all about. And then they encounter him uh, in this experience uh, right here. But it says uh, the, basically the fishermen were minding their own business, literally. They were minding their fishing business. It said they were washing their nets in Luke and, and other passages, Matthew and Mark. Uh, and John says they were mending, or they were washing and mending uh, their nets. And that's a key that they were repairing their nets uh, for the next night's uh, work. And so if they didn't repair or mend their nets, if they didn't fix them, they would rot and they wouldn't be any good for them. They're too for their fishing uh, business. But that same word for mending is the word uh, for equipping uh, what we do as a church. We equip disciples. We equip you uh, to serve. We mend, you know, broken relationships are mended uh, through Christ, that type of thing. So we're repairing and mending relationships. And those that are far off from God can come close. I don't have a relationship. They can 
uh, be reconciled uh, to Christ. So that's an important word there uh, is mending. So they, these fishermen were basically, you know, Jesus interrupted their daily routine. You know, they fished at night. They fixed their nets and cleaned them uh, in the morning. They'd probably go home and rest uh, a little bit during the day, get some other things done for their next, before their next night of fishing. So this was their daily routine. And here Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the son of the living God, interrupts, interrupts their daily uh, routine. And so looking at these uh, same aspects of the passage, what, are, what is our context, our community, uh, the crowd, uh, that type uh, of thing. Our community, uh, West Cobb, East Paulding area, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much a lost, uh, lost counties, lost uh, area. 80% or so are unchurched or don't believe uh, in Jesus or aren't, fo aren't following Christ, even though about 45% of the population say they have some type of a religious adherence uh, to a church, whether it's Christian uh, or not, but we're basically an unchurched uh, area in our community. And it's our charge, and that's our charge to reach them to go to the community, not just to expect the community to come to us. Even though those invitations are powerful, you know, like Andrew invited his brother, Simon Peter, to come and see Jesus. He had met him. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. And so he, he met Jesus, became a, a disciple of Jesus, and goes and finds his brother, said, you got to come and see. We found the Messiah. And so that was when Jesus, uh, Peter had met Jesus, you know, before this uh, experience. But we live in an unchurched community. And, uh, and so, you know, and we've got to go, and we're called to be fishers of men. The, the scripture says we're, we're to catch men. And the catching men and women and children, boys and girls, are in our community. That's our Jerusalem that we're called to first. Last week, uh, Pastor Eli shared about the Alaska mission trip and they had the team to share and testimonies. But, but Eli made this point with talking about uh, Peter, you know, in Acts. He's saying, you know, we don't have a right if we're not reaching, if we're not going and doing this in our community. We can't go, expect to go somewhere else and do it to Alaska or Guatemala or where else if we're not doing it at home, if we're not doing it in our Jerusalem, we've got to do that first and foremost and faithful to be able to go and do it elsewhere. And so that's the call. We need to be fishers of men. And so that's one thing I told you, I'm not a fisherman. I never caught the bug, but I do have, I do have two Columbia fishing shirts, you know, the P uh, whatever, and a Columbia pair of fishing pants that are very comfortable. And I guess they're stylish, but I've got, I've got the fishing clothes. And I've also got three Zebco rod and reels in my storage shed that I never use. So just cause I've got, I dress, I can dress like a fisherman and I have a fishing pole. Does that make me a fisherman? No. And so what is our kind of, we're supposed to be fishers of men. What is the impression that we're giving to the lost community that we're planted in? That's our, our fishing hole, so to speak of where we're supposed to go. What kind of, do you act like a fisherman or look like a fit, but you're not a fisherman or you're actually going out and you're, you're serving and sharing and people are coming to know Christ. You know, several years ago, Tom Rainer uh, did a research book called it the unchurched next door. Uh, and that's when he said that, you know, 80% of the unchurched in America, 82% of them said they would attend church if someone they knew invited them. But the sad part is that uh, only 2%, only 2% of the unchurched said that it had anybody 
from a church ever shared Christ with them. So we're, you know, the unchurched are willing to come if we invite them. But the thing is, we're not, we're not casting seeds, we're not sowing seeds, and we're not inviting people to come. And so the, we, we need to be fishermen in our context. The crowd, they were being drawn to Jesus. Uh, how are they being drawn to Jesus? They were hearing the word of God. They had seen him do miracles and wonders, and they were curious spectators, but it drew a crowd. And so what about us? We, we, we've got a crowd gathered on Sunday mornings. But what's it mean that you've been here on Sunday morning as you go back home and go out into your community? Do you share your encounter with God and what you've learned? Do you share that in your home? Do you share that with your neighbors and your friends? So the characters are us, uh, the believers. And so how, how, is God in, how are you encountering God uh, daily, not just on Sunday mornings? And so if you were here last week and you didn't have another encounter with God till this morning, something's missing. You need to have those encounters with God uh, daily on an individual uh, basis. And so the second, uh, the second C of the seven C's is the central figure uh, is Jesus. Uh, in verse three, here it says, he got, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Here, the, the, Jesus is, is the center of attention. He's what it's all about. And first of, first of all, it says Jesus got in the boat. You know, here the fishermen uh, were there. Two boats were on shore. They were washing and mending their nets, minding their own business. The crowd was pushing on Jesus. They were listening to him teach. And he just goes up to one of these. And so it wasn't a stranger. He already knew P, uh, Simon Peter and uh, James and John. And he said, hey, can I get into your boat to go out a little from shore so I can continue to teach the folks. Basically, he used, he used the boat as a pulpit and the water as an amplifier so the crowds uh, could hear him. And so first of all, he got in the boat and, and Simon Peter led him in the boat. And so the, the thing is, is Jesus, is Jesus present? Is Jesus in your boat? Is he in the boat of our church? Is he in your personal lifeboat? If he asks, hey, I want to come in, I'm at the door knocking, are you going to let me in your life? Are you going to let me in your boat. Uh, MacArthur here about Jesus teaching, he says, John MacArthur says, you begin to get the picture that when Jesus was teaching, he drew huge crowds because of his power and because of his clarity and the uniqueness and the power of his preaching. So basically Jesus was present or Jesus was in the house. Jesus was in the boat and he was going to show off. He got Jesus as a central. He's the main thing. And Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And then in John, he says, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is essential. He's central, and we've got to remember that. And so in our worship, he's got to be the main thing. He's got to be the focus of our worship. Uh, and Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher of England uh, in 1868, uh, he said this in his Christ, the glory of his people sermon. He said, a sermon without Christ, it is as its beginning, middle and end is a mistaken conception and a crime in execution. However, grand the language, it will be merely much ado about nothing if Christ be not there. And I mean by Christ, not merely his example and the ethical precepts of his teaching, but his atoning blood, his wondrous satisfaction made for human sin and the grand doctrine of believe and live, believe in Christ, have eternal 
life. Jesus is central to our faith as Christians. He is central to who we worship and who we are as the body of Christ, the church. We're the body of Christ, not a gathering of other people. We're gathered as the body of Christ, ecclesia, the called out ones, the called out ones that are following Christ. We are the body of Christ. Henry Blackaby has said, uh, he, Jesus, has a right to interpret your, interrupt your life. He is Lord. When you accepted him as Lord, you gave him the right to help himself to your life anytime he wants. Is the Lord central? Is he a priority in your life and in our church? How do you need to make Jesus the center of your attention? How do we need to make him the center of our attention in our worship, in our life groups, in our homes? What changes do you need to make to make Christ central? The third uh, is they were challenged to grow and serve. These men, uh, these fishermen uh, had an encounter with God and they were challenged to grow uh, and serve. In verses, uh, verse four, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught uh, anything. It says, when Jesus finished teaching, I wish it told us what Jesus taught, but it doesn't in Luke. It may be in other passages or encounters, but it says when Jesus finished speaking, uh, speaking or teaching, he turned to Peter and said, now I want you to go out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. That was what he was wanting. He was doing it. He got Peter's attention. But here, just something about this, this statement, there's three things that you can learn about this. And just, this was Jesus model of teaching. And you can use, remember CIA as a, as a model here. The C uh, in this instruction here is command. The command was put out in the deep water. Jesus told him, said, Simon, I want you to go out and put the boat and go out the deep water. That's what he was telling him to do is his command. It was in, and then the uh, I there is instruction. So he gave him a command. Then he told him what to do. The instruction was let down the nets. And then the A is assurance. There was assurance there. He said, let down the nets for a catch. He said, if you do what I tell you to do, you're going to have a catch. And so that's Jesus' model of teaching. What's he commanding you to do? He tells you how to do it or what to do. And then he gives you assurance that if you obey what he says, this is what's going to happen. We'll be blessed because of our obedience. So here Jesus takes the initiative uh, with Simon Peter and involved him in his sovereign plan uh, and involved him with his uh, call to be a disciple. Uh, so this was the, the, the statement that Jesus makes to, to Simon Peter you know, go out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. This, this statement probably, or most assuredly, got Peter, caught Peter off guard. One, it didn't make sense to him. He probably didn't understand it. Because here, you know, they fished at night, not in the middle of the day. And they fished in the shallow water at night with nets uh, and, uh, and not in deep water. And so here, for, and, they, and they had already fished all night and hadn't caught anything. And here Jesus is commanding them, telling them, say, this is what I want you to do. Go out into deep water for a catch. And I'm sure it didn't make much sense to him. But he said, but because of your word, because you say so, because you're telling me to do it, I respect you as a master, as a teacher, 
and I'll respect that and I'll do what you tell me to do. So when we're told to put out in the deep water, what is our response? Do we say, uh, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Lord, I don't understand, so I'm not going to do it. Or flat out say, no, I'm not going to do it. You're rebellious and you're going to disobey and say, no, I don't care what you're calling me to do. I'm not going to do it. That's rebellion. That's disobedience. And that's sin. So what are you going to do if God calls you and leads you to say, I'm going to, I need you to do something different. I need you to serve. I need you to teach. I need you to change worship hours so more people can come uh, to worship. Are you going to put your personal preferences and, and your comfort and your satisfaction ahead of what God is calling you to do? Whatever that may be. It may be just, a, hey, to go have a conversation with your neighbor, to share Christ with them, or at least develop a relationship uh, with them. Whatever he's calling you to do, are you going to say, I don't understand it. I may not do so well, but because you said so, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what you've led me, uh, led us to do. And so here there's a, there's a difference in deep water and shallow water uh, in this instance. And so there's you know, just a few comparisons of deep water to shallow water. Uh, it could be a deep water calling, a calling versus what is your comfort level, what you're comfortable with. It's easy just to come and sit and be comfortable and, and just listen and have a, a good experience. But are you being called to do something else? Are you comfortable just sitting in worship or a life group? It's the difference between being challenged to do something uh, for God or being complacent about it. The shallow water is complacency. Deep water of being charged. You're charged to do something from your Lord and Savior or you're just copacetic about it. You know, whatever. You know, I might or I might not. You know, it doesn't really matter. Is there a difference between you being commissioned to do something, set apart to do something, or is it we're going to do it? If, if consensus is in our church, we're going to do it, we'll do it. Or whether you're being commissioned or set apart to do it something. Are we as a church, a deep water, are we a, a battleship or a carrier? Or are we a comfortable cruise line where our needs are taken care of and we pay enough money uh, for that? So is it a difference between going for a catch in the deep that Jesus commands us to do, or is it just, I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to do what makes me and my family comfortable. You know, some of us, you know, about Jesus getting in the boat or being in the boat or going fishing or doing it. Some of you, some of us, me included, I mean, we're, comp we're just, you know, we may be like Otis Redding. You know, we're just sitting on the dock of the bay watching the world and the ships just pass by. We're just having a relaxing time, just observing what is going on. But Jesus calls us into deep water. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get out in it, not just watch everybody else do it. We've got to get in where God calls us to be and to do. And so the fourth one is the commands of Christ are obeyed. Verse six Said Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so, it was, it was, I mean, he was just being honest. Simon Peter said, Lord, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll do it. And then they, they, they caught such a large number of fish 
that the nets began to break and they had to call the other boat over to help them get it in. And they began to sink because it was so many fish. So the personal response, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. We've worked hard all night on our own initiative without you being present and we had no results. But because you say so, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to do it. And there again, you know, his, his response uh, was, you know, probably not understanding what Jesus was talking about. And here Jesus was a teacher, known as a teacher. He was raised as a carpenter. And here he was telling a professional uh, fisherman how to fish. Glenn Chapelier is a member of our church. He was in the last service. Glenn's, you know, really a professional uh, fisherman uh, in some sense, or a real good fisherman, bass and all that. And it's like me as a teacher, as a pastor that doesn't claim to be a fisherman, uh, trying to tell Glenn, uh, who knows his business, knows how to find the fish, knows how to catch bass. He's got all the equipment, the boat, that type thing. It's me telling him how to catch a bass when I've never caught a bass in my life. I've caught some little brim or crappy or whatever you call them, where, where part of the country uh, you're from and some catfish. But that's like, you know, that, that's what's here. But one of the commentators of, of Luke, James Edwards, uh, he makes an analogy this way of a, a fisherman telling, a, a non-fisherman telling a fisherman, especially a professional fisherman what to do. He says, few fishermen endure failure in the art admirably and people who fish for a living rather than for sport may endure it even less admirably. We need to ask what goes through the mind of, of a professional fisherman in a foul mood when a non-fisherman orders him to do again in bad conditions what he has already tried and failed to do in good conditions. So here you get the matter of the attitude that Peter, uh, Simon Peter and these other fishermen may have had uh, with that, but they didn't, you know, they didn't argue. They didn't argue, they were obedient. And so they, they obeyed the commands of Christ and they were blessed uh, because of their uh, obedience. Uh, Henry Blackaby again says, uh, if you know what, that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. If you know God loves you, you should never uh, question a directive from him. It will always be right and best. Whatever Christ is asking you to do will be, always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are, not to you are just to observe, not just to observe it, discuss it or debate it. You are to obey it. So it's not our prerogative to question it or debate it and say, is this what I'm supposed to do or not? If Christ gives us a directive, if he gives you a directive, are you being obedient to it? No matter what it costs you, no matter the circumstances, no matter what else happens, are you going to be faithful and obedient to do what Christ calls you to do? Number five is cooperation of the body. The body of Christ cooperates together. Uh, and here the fishermen had to cooperate together to get all the fish uh, in. And so in verse seven says, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I mean, what a marvelous experience as a fisherman, you know, to catch, I mean, the greatest catch, the, you know, the nets were breaking, they got it into both boats and the, it was heavy and, and the boats were starting to go over, you know, the water was starting to come over the edges of the boat because of the weight. They're such a great catch of fish, they couldn't handle it. They had to call the other boats together. You know, and we as a church, if we're gonna be in deep water, we need to be in it together. We need to help one another. And that's the thing about being the body 
of Christ, each of you as a Christian, as a believer, has been gifted to serve and to minister. You've been gifted, you've got spiritual gifts, and, and, and we're here to equip you to serve and minister, not just to come and sit and to soak. You know, the old farming thing with uh, soaking peas, if you let them sit and just soak, you know what happens to them? They sour. If you're just going to come and sit and soak God, you know, the word in, have just a good, you know, pleasant worship uh, experience, but you don't do anything about it. You don't let it change your heart and your life. You don't let it be an encounter with God that's going to change uh, your life. Uh, you've got to, you know, you're just going to, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to sour just if you're just sitting here, you know, listening and just going about your business like it didn't make a difference whether you were here or not. Alistair Begg uh, puts it this way. He says, as Christians, we are called not simply to come and sit and to learn, but we're to grow and go and to fish and feed. So we're not only called to come and worship and to sit under the teaching of Christ, but we're to go uh, we're to learn and grow, and then we're to go, we're to fish for men, and then we are to feed the sheep, not just the fish. And so we shouldn't have to, in a church, everybody has a part to play. We should never have to beg for folks to work in preschool and children's life groups or ministry. We should never have to beg uh, for folks to serve on the worship team, tech team, production team, whatever, with, to work with students, to lead in a life group. We should never have to beg for that. You're called to do something as the body of Christ. Are you doing that ministry? Are you being equipped to do that as our, as our part? Number six, confession is common uh, in the church. And so here it says in verse uh, eight and nine, uh, uh, Simon made a confession. He, said, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the great catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's uh, partners. And so here Jesus had really revealed himself as God with, with, with his healing, with his uh, omnipotence, with his omniscience, his uh, as you know, all-knowing, all-powerful. Uh, all that was exhibited uh, in, in this. And one that I think got Peter's attention is he knew where the fish were. Jesus knew where the fish were, and he commanded those fish to get in uh, the nets. And so his, his power, authority over nature, that, 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 I mean, that got Peter's attention, Simon Peter's attention. And so he was first time probably that he had ever been confronted with his sinfulness against that of Jesus Christ. He was confronted and he realized his sinfulness. He, I mean, he confessed three things uh, here. One, he confessed his sin of disobedience and unbelief, of being reluctant to obey. He said, Lord, go away from me. He said, I'm a sinful man. He, he acknowledged his sinfulness to the Christ. You know, after the experience with Christ, he acknowledged that he was a sinner, probably for the first time uh, in his life. Second, he confessed Jesus to be the Lord. He said, go away from me, Lord. And before he said, master, we've worked hard all night. Masters like teacher or rabbi or a follower. Here he, he confesses him as Lord, as the Messiah, as the, as the Lord who's, who's to be listened to and obeyed. And then he confessed a fear, a reverence and all for the Lord. Uh, and he said, uh, he said they were astonished or amazed 
at the great catch of fish. When was the last time you were astonished or amazed at God's work in your life? When's the last time you were astonished or amazed at God's work in this body of believers at Burnt Hickory? Hopefully it hadn't been that long. But has it brought you to that point where you, you're able to confess Jesus is Lord, that you're a sinner, and that you want to follow him and be obedient to him? The seventh, the final one, the seventh C is uh, we're committed to follow Christ. We're committed to follow Christ. And it says in verse 10 and 11, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. He said, Peter, he said Simon, from now on, you're going to catch men alive. You're going to be, you're going to fish for men. You're going to catch men alive, not dead. And so you're going to be called fishers of men. And uh, so they left it. They great catch. You know, he, uh, Simon Peter confessed Jesus as Lord and such a great catch of fish. He said, what'd they do with it? I mean, probably, you know, could pay their bills for years to come. So what did they do? They left it. They left everything and followed Christ. They, commit, they were committed to follow Christ. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his Cost of Discipleship says Christianity without Christ. So Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So that doesn't make sense. You're not a Christian if you're not a follower of Christ. Christianity has become a secular, just a general term. People claim to be a Christian just like they say, so, well, I'm Jewish or I'm Catholic or whatever. And they're not, they're not followers. They're not followers of Christ. Peter confessed his sin of disobedience and unbelief. And so what's your confession this morning? Do you need to go out in deep water for a catch, what God's calling you to do? Or do you need to surrender your heart and life to Christ this morning? And so I want you to just bow your heads and pray and just consider uh, these items of, uh, is Christ calling you to follow him today? First of all, you need to recognize that God created you for a love relationship that's real and personal, that he wants you to love him with all your being. We're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Next, we need to recognize that, that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Peter said, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful person. Are you willing to confess your sin, confront the sin in your life? Are you ready to believe that Jesus paid the death penalty on the cross as a, as a payment for your sin, for our salvation? By his death on the cross and he rose from the dead in victory over death, he, he paid the death penalty for our sin. Are you willing to confess, that's agree with God about your sin, confess those sins to God? And then after that, are you ready to repent of that sin? That means turn away from, you turn away from that sin and you turn to God. Are you willing and ready to do that this morning? Just ask Jesus to save you by his grace, which is an undeserved favor. We don't deserve it, but Christ gives it as a gift. It's a grace, it's undeserved favor. Or you might just need to say, I need to recommit. I need to turn my life over 
to Christ. Whatever your commitment is, you can look up and, and just hope you've prayed that to receive Christ. Or if you need to make other decisions, there's a next step, a card in the worship guide or it's on the screen. If you want to accept Christ, let us know about it. You know, check that uh, part. If you want to uh, be baptized as we had experienced uh, this morning as you're a Christian, but that's your first act of obedience is to be uh, baptized, believers of baptism. Uh, we want you to do that. Or if you want to connect to a life group or, or you want to discover more what it means to be a part of the body of Christ here at Burnt Hickory, we want to talk to you and pray with you about that. We'll, take a, we'll have some counselors uh, over on this side under the next step. Uh, on this side to, to talk with you and pray for you uh, if you need it. So as, our, as, our, uh, as we sing the invitation time, just consider uh, your calling to be a Christian and your service to be a Christian. And we'll have the counselors that are over here that will talk with you. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you so take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com slash next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.